Welcome, everybody, to another edition of RZ Weekly. Uh, I am one of the hosts. My name is Ruben Spolter. I'm the director of OTS Amiel Bakihila and the Rabbinic Liaison for English-Speaking Countries for Yergun Rabbanet Tzohar. I'm here with Rabbi Johnny Solomon. Rabbi Solomon is a teacher at Machon Mayan and Midrash Torah V'Chesed and a writer and editor of Jewish content for numerous organizations around the world and also a, a, a pretty well in-demand speaker from, from what I can tell. And Rabbi Mali Bravsky is a senior faculty member at Michlelet Mivaseret Yerushalayim and maintains a clinical social work practice in Gush Etzion. Uh, we'll just uh, start with Mali. Mali, uh, it's important for us to note uh, that we were off for a couple of weeks because Mali lost her mother, my Mrs. Leah Adler, who I was privileged to know. She was the beloved librarian in the Goddessman Library in Yeshiva University. And uh, we were surprised to hear of her passing in Sanand. And uh, we just wanted to express our condolences to you officially. Your mom was a great, great lady. I remember when I go to, would go to the library, I'd always run up when I was there to go say hello to her. You know, they were always so welcoming to me. And uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I appreciate your words. And, I've, um, you know, I feel like I'd like to start by saying just a few words about my mother. I can't just, you know, move right into this uh, without talking just shortly. And I appreciate, Ruby, your words because it's what I've been hearing from everybody. Um, how kind she was, how warm she was, how welcoming she was. Uh, my uncle spoke at the, we had an Aliyah Kever, and he talked about three main qualities of my mother, one of which being this tremendous chesed. Um, you know, uh, the house was, oh, it, not only was she kind to every person she encountered, our house was a house of tremendous chesedim. The other quality he talked about was hatmada, diligence. Um, my mother came from a very yekish family. She herself is very yekish, and that meant she did the right thing, and she did it right. That was true in her Avodat Hashem. It was true also in her diligence to her work. As you mentioned, she was the head of the Mendel Gottesman Library, and she took her job very seriously, and she did an excellent job. Um, and the third quality was Anava and Sni'ut. Um, and to me, that's a very, very, um, very important part of my mother. She was she never put herself forward. She she never um, so, you know, seeked any kind of personal attention. And it's, very, it's been very meaningful for me to hear from so many people that they saw her greatness, um, or they saw who she was, even though she was kind of in the background. I think that's an important lesson for all of us. Um, yeah, and the last thing I would say is, like, if people have been reading obituaries, you know, anything about her, they're seeing who she was to the world. But I just want to add on a personal note that, to me, she was just such a wonderful mother. And so much of who I am and what I have is due to her. And so, you know, that's something that's, that's important for me to convey. So I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Ruby. Um, at least we could do. Nice to have you back on the program. Okay, Lat, we're gonna do a 180 and move into the into the into the program. Today we're gonna discuss two topics. One, we're gonna do a little bit of a follow-up from the last uh, episode in which we talked about the idea of Game of Thrones and secular culture. And we received a number of uh, comments, one of them from an anonymous commenter that was forwarded to me, at least anonymous to me, uh, spoke about a number of things, but he also uh, wrote about the idea of aestheticism, aesthetics. Uh, but he might not be opposite. anonymous. I just didn't ask him permission to share. It could be that we, I can ask him permission and he'd be happy to. Okay. So he wrote the following, among other things. Further, there was no appreciation of artistry. Everything was about the ideas that a work of entertainment conveys or that one can draw from them, as you correctly pointed out. But to quote Revaria Lichtenstein yet again, that's like lauding a Shakespearean actor because he didn't get any of his lines wrong. I frankly don't know why God gave us, gave us an aesthetic sense 
but he did, and it seems clear from Scripture and from the Talmud that it's good for us. For example, I strongly suspect that people are watching Game of Thrones not for the pornography and not for the evil of its characters, but mostly because it's very, very well done. Uh, parentheses, I don't know firsthand. I read the first couple of books years ago and stopped because there was practically nobody to like, but there was a tremendous amount of cruelty, and the author killed off his main characters wholesale. I don't know. I didn't read the books. Okay, so I, I, I felt that this was an important point that he makes, that our commenter makes, uh, that I actually agree with, that, you know, uh, the idea of aesthetics clearly is an important theme in Jewish life. And I think, interestingly, like when I think about it, the more I would say, quote unquote, Torahic or right wing a person becomes, or you, like if you go into a right wing home, you're less and less likely to see uh, works of aesthetic beauty that are not Jewish. I mean, you'll see pictures of Yerushalayim, the music you'll hear is Avram Fried, but you won't hear, you, know, you, you probably are less likely to see, you know, posters for Monet hanging, uh, hanging on the walls. Or like, or, or, or works of music, blues, jazz, just like works of music that are that are aesthetically pleasing and beautiful that are not Jewish. And I think that this is something that's that's I would say is not a Jewish value. That Judaism definitely, definitely values aesthetics, and aesthetics do move us, have the power to move us and to calm us and to and to prod us. And uh, I think they're an important part of life. You know, the, the only thing I would add is that is something that I always I, I really bothers me about, about especially in Israel, uh, when I go into Haredi communities. And you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, but my experience is that when you go into a Haredi community, they don't invest in aesthetics, right? There aren't parks. There aren't, you know, they don't pick up the garbage, to be honest with you. A lot of places are just dirty, and that drives me bananas, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, like for me, it's very important. I have a, a sort of a set, an aesthetic sense. I believe, you know, it's even in Messiah Isharim, like, you know, the idea of Nikiyut and, and the sense of positive uh, beauty. And I know for a fact that, you know, I, I'm not sure which Muslim movement it was. I think it was Labadka, I think it was, where they preached that a bentor has to, has to be impeccable and represent the, the, the strongest ideals, not just in the way he acts, but also in the way he looks. And I don't know where, when that went away, but I think that Judaism has suffered because of it. And that the, the wholesale uh, loss of the, the aesthetic value doesn't do good for us or for the Ribona Shalola. Johnny. Uh, I disagree with the overall generalization, although I believe, obviously, there are pockets of truth in what you've said. Um, there has been a trend of trying to disconnect spirituality from the material world. Uh, and that's disappointing. I think I might have mentioned, I'm currently writing a safe on Birkat Shechianu. And what we've seen is a trend over the last 200 years of not saying Shechianu on clothes, e even though this is uh, very much acknowledged as a normative thing to do in orthodoxy. In fact, some Rabbani are very clear that they don't say Shechianu on clothes because it's pasnish. It's, it's, it's a shallow thing to involve and invoke the name of God with such uh, base needs such as uh, clothing. Wait, no, Johnny, I, I, I think you're, I feel like you're, you're conflating two issues. One is aesthetics and one is materialism. Meaning, you're talking about, about making a shechiyano on clothing because pasnished, but I'm talking about making a shechiyano on something that's beautiful and moving because it's beautiful and moving, not because it's a necessarily materialism. So can you divide so, between so, the two? 
With pleasure. So, so um, I think they are slightly related, but I will gladly segue to the second part of my point, which is I think there is an investment in aesthetics, but rather than it being and something of aesthetic beauty that's conjured by somebody from the outside of my world in which I admire, which I agree it is certainly generally not done in at least certain parts of the Orthodox world. There is, though, even look at the Bekesh of the Hasidish Rebbe's, Zerkevi van Behu, there'll be an investment in aesthetics, but in things which are related to my world. So, artistry about Trebeim, right? Beautiful um, uh, things produced for Teradika um, usage, people would invest in uh, aesthetics. Beautiful Aaron Kodesh for Yeshiva, fantastic. But I'd acknowledge that, yes, there's less interest. In, in seeing spiritual value necessarily in Rembrandt, as Rav Cook famously did when he visited the National Library in London many a time, that's not seen to be the done thing in many parts of, of shall we say, Haredian Hasidish orthodoxy today. So my question for you is, why not? What happened that the value, meaning, would you think that, well, it's conflated because Monet or Rembrandt is part of secular society, and now anything that is not Jewish is puzzle? Meaning, or the, has has there been a change in the value of aesthetics in general? That it, you know, it's one thing to wear a beautiful bekasha for the rabbi to wear a bekasha and big, you know, base medrash. But I would call that Judaica. That's not aesthetic. Yeah, I want to have a beautiful uh, Aaron Kodesh or a nice uh, pushka in my house. You know what I'm saying? To have a beautiful picture of the rabbi, I don't call that art. I call that a beautiful picture of the rabbi, and those are not the same thing. So I'll I'll, I'll challenge you. Why why would you claim that? Monet has a, a greater share in aesthetics than necessarily a beautiful painting of the stipler. To be, to be brutally honest, if Monet had painted the stipler, it would be more beautiful than whoever else painted the stipler. Because Monet, right. was obviously, Monet was obviously gifted by God with some kind of incredible capability to be able to translate that. And there's it's more not than not the stipler. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Molly. Sorry. Is it, can I jump in or Johnny, did you want to finish? Please, feel free. Um, I know because, because the truth is I had two things that I want to say. First of all, just I, we have to be careful with the language. I think we're talking about aesthetics as opposed to aesthetic, right? Aesthetic is, you know, removal from the world. Aesthetics is is beauty. Um, just I was also thinking about Rav Cook and his famous Mamar al-Shir Ashirim. Rav Cook, meaning there's more than one place where it talks about aesthetics. aesthetics. Um, one of them I agree with is, is, is his description of Rembrandt. Um, and the other is he wrote this Mamar al-Shir Ashirim where he talks about art. Um, and there he talks about this idea um, of the, and it's a very beautiful description of um, why he believes, he also has the, 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 um, the letter that he wrote at the opening of the Vitsalal Art Academy. And I think this mm -hmm. kind of speaks yeah. to this point, where he talks about the importance of developing artists in Eretz Yisrael as a healthy return of the people to their land. So maybe I'll start there, because that kind of where, is where I wanted to jump in, Johnny, where like, to make a nice picture of the stipler, um, that's 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 different than Monet, right? And and again, that goes back to like another thing I wanted to mention was our conversation last time was really about low culture, pop culture, right? And this conversation of about aesthetics is about high culture, right? Shakespeare is 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 on a different level than conversations we're having about Friends and you know, the Big Bang Theory, right? There 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 is actually a, this whole category of again what I would call high culture, which is different than a nice picture of the stipler. Um, it, it has to do with usually a tremendous degree of, um, of education. 
It has to do with, there's actually a talent that like, you know, people are born with that actually puts them in, in like a whole different category. Personal it's, inspiration. It's, yeah, it's different. Like, you know, all these, all, all my things. good friends from Beisiakov who make these beautiful but rather lurid pictures of, you know, flowers and, and you know, like dripping with pink and green. Um, they may think it's pretty, but it's, it's, it's you know, bring it to any serious artist um, and they'll be like, you know, that's not exactly what I would call, you know, high art. And I do think that there's a difference. And I think that Rav Cook was actually aware of the difference. Um, and I think that, that, that that's what we're talking about, right? So the first distinction I think is important to make, that there is a distinction between making a pretty picture and what we're talking about here, which is, you know, again, what I, what I think of as high culture. So that's, that's just to go back to Johnny's point, you know, and the, the, the argument or the discussion you were having with Johnny, the, the point I wanted to make was that Rav Cook really did believe in the value of this high art. He believed that it was the human obligation, that, the, that, the, that the, the role of high art was to express all of the um, great ideas within the human soul and that that was the role of high art. He also believed, by the way, that there were certain things that the human soul that art artistry was able to express about the human soul that was not beautiful and that did not, in his language, perfume the environment in a positive way. And he said that stuff should actually not be brought out and that stuff should be buried. Um, and the other, just I want to make one last point about aesthetics and why it's valuable, because I think this is worth thinking about. I just heard this lecture about why does beauty move us so much, right? Why, why is it that people flock to, you know, um, the Louvre or the British Museum or the Met? right? Why are they there? They're not in somebody's house who has a picture of the stifler. They're, they're staring at a Rembrandt and at a Monet and at, you know, you know, you can list many more. What, what is that? And what, what this person, what the, what, the, what the argument was, was that when we see true beauty, right, when we see some a, a piece of real art, and it's true about architecture as well, and it's true about sculpture, and it's true about all the arts, what we're seeing is is like, a, 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 a like an idealized picture of, of almost perfection of beauty and it moves us it stirs us because it, it there's something in us that responds to that type of perfection and there's something in us that that strives to be like that right it's like we see the possibility of the ideal and when we see the possibility of the ideal actualized that stirs our souls because it stirs it, it, it kind of challenges us to say can I also, um, move towards an ideal, right? There's something very, very powerful about that, about, and I think Ruby, that's kind of what you're intuiting. There's something very powerful about true art in that it really touches the human soul and it really um, challenges us as human beings to, 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 to kind of move towards something higher and something greater. And that's where I think that I, that I agree with you, that there's value in aesthetic, and I think it's a Torah value. And I think, you know, the reason the Mishkad and B'Tzalel, it wasn't just like what you were describing, you know, to make a pretty house full of nice pictures, it was because, and, and, the, and the base of Mikdash, because there's an intrinsic value in, in great art and beauty and aesthetics that's, that, that is healthy and positive and spiritually moving for the human being. I, I agree. I think that the, the phrase that keeps coming up in my mind in, in, uh, when you think of the Mishkan is Nisa'olibo, that he's, he's, he's raised up by his heart, that there's a, there's a, a personal input, that it's very elevating, it's spiritually elevating. And uh, I think that that's something that that uh, we need in our religious lives, and to ignore it, and to and to uh, not have it, 
I think it's something that's negative, which is why, interestingly enough, like I can't listen to Jewish music anymore because I, it's not to me, it's not music. It's sort of like pop. You know, I had a like music major pop. who said all Jewish music is the same three chords over. And oh, over. that's definitely true. I mean, I used to like, but I'm saying. No, like, she was saying it in a negative way. She's like, she couldn't listen to it either because it was the same three chords over and over and over. But, but once, once I, I'd like. Doesn't mean that I don't listen to it. I, yeah. I, I acknowledge that there are absolute uh, pieces of, of beauty expressed and, and hanging in galleries around the world. However, I do want to pin this down because I think we're, we're dealing with the Nakuda T point. It seems to be from what Ali said, there are objective pieces of artwork which are, are exceptional. Maybe you will be as well. And ultimately, we have a choice as to whether to incorporate those in our consciousness or to walk on by, just as much as we're saying that much of Jewish music is objectively lousy, and that's why it doesn't speak to us. However, I can have something which is mediocre, which you think is mediocre, and really moves me. Meaning, where is the stimulus? Where, what makes me admire a piece of art? Is it the objective, uh, exceptional quality of the artwork, or is it how it makes me feel? So, take a simple example. I may go to a classical uh, museum and be moved, and go to a modern art museum and say this is just nonsense. Mm -hmm. I take another person; they walk around the National Library and say it's old school, silly stuff, and they go to a Tate Modern in London and they're enamoured. In, if you say so, either either one is fine. I agree. The artist and the eye of the beholder. No, I think there are. Then, but then, right. but yeah. then if, either, if either one is fine, then let's return back to the random case I brought. It could well be that I say I've trained my mind to say Monet is lovely, um, but nonetheless, I find myself even more moved when I see in your eyes a mediocre artist capturing the spirit of the stipler, which for me mm -hmm. moves me more. Well, I think that's legitimate. I think you're. I think you just have to define your terms. Like I think what 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 we can say is, and I think this is important. There is such a thing as high art and great art. Um, you can also maybe make an argument that there's some stuff that's good art, but that I don't that doesn't speak to me. Right? Let's say you want to make an no, argument no, that I, modern wait, art. Wait, wait a second. Wait, Johnny, modern I, art I think... is great, but 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 you know, like Van Gogh. Van Gogh speaks to me not at all. But if somebody gave me a class on Van Gogh, maybe I would learn to appreciate why people think it's great but let's but let's now move to johnny's level which is i can say this is not great art but i like it and it moves me and it's spiritually valuable for me and therefore i'm going to hang it on my wall but i know that it's not great art but i also know that it's spiritually moving to me that's fine as long as we're clear about the different categories and that's johnny my, my point is johnny my point is the person who's hanging the picture of the stipler because he finds it moving that's wonderful that he wants to have a picture of the stipler and he's not hanging it because he's looking for a moving picture of the stipler. He's hanging it because he wants the image of the stipler on his walls. And he doesn't believe in hanging uh, uh, secular images or graven images or whatever you want that are not connected to some, some association with his Jewish identity. That's what Correct. I'm talking about. But that's what art does. No, but it's not art. art. It's not art. He's not, he, doesn't, he doesn't put a picture of the stipler. I have a what picture Ruby, of also... What Ruby is arguing is that, a, is, that a, is that a culture that doesn't make room for also great art is actually an impoverished, impoverished culture. And that I agree with. That's exactly what I'm arguing. Thank you for saying it so well. That's exactly what I'm saying. But, I, but okay, but then let's just take it just for a second for a slightly further level. Monet, for example, is in terms of at least what he paints fairly powerful. But let's take one some of the classic artists who paint, uh, you know, uh, scantily clad women. Why is it that neither of you have those paintings on your wall? No, no, no. I said, I prefaced and I said, I prefaced and I said, we're specifically talking about, about art 
that doesn't compromise my religious values. If the art compromises, I say, you could, that, like right. music, most of pop music is trafe too because of the values that it's conveying. But if you, that's why I specifically said jazz or some kind of certain kinds of blues classical. or classical music, you know, or Perhaps I happen to, music. I happen to like yeah. much of the Ellen Parsons project. You know what I'm saying? That's really great music. It just moves yeah. me. Johnny, I most will go back to is, Rav Cook. Rav Cook says this. Rav Cook says the art that is mevasem, right? That's what he says, right? The art that's his label, yeah. that is that perfumes is what we should take. The art that he says does the opposite, and he says shikvuratam hubiuram. That you have to cover. So he he he's the one who says, like our last conversation, be discerning. Correct, but let's just not forget that almost nobody spoke about art like him before him or since him. He was unique. Uh, I'm obviously very enamored by some of the remarks he made, but the very fact that very few people from all sorts of the Jewish world have necessarily made it their business to admire art and write about it in such religiously flowery language uh, is itself reflective of the priorities across the Jewish world, not just in the Haredi Hasidic world. I'm sorry, I can quote you an article by Rabbi Sachs, who wrote about, writes about the importance of it. Um, you don't aesthetic. need to quote me the writings of Rabbi Sachs. Yeah. You know, I know no, them but it's also, listen, but <laughs> me, just most halachic, Rabbi Lizzie wrote about it, most halachic writers yeah. are not writing about that. Your, the idea that, I, I, I disagree with that statement strongly. If you, if you look for it, you can find much you know, Chazal. It just comes back to the Torah conversation, right? How many people do you have on that side? And if you have less than on the other side, it's still enough. And I would say, yes, it's still enough. It's All right, we're, gonna, we're going to uh, cut off this part of the conversation. And there's obviously always more to discuss. <laughs> but I want to turn to our second topic. Uh, if you have comments about this part of the discussion, you can uh, email, email them to us, to any one of us. Or just send them anonymously to Molly and she'll forward us to us on our WhatsApp group. Or again, tell uh, me that you want, to be, you want to be mentioned, I will mention your name. I have no problem with that. Okay. Uh, our second topic, uh, we're, we're switching gears. Our second topic it relates to a Q&A session that took place this past Yom HaAzimut at Yeshiva University. It was a question and answer session relating, it's called Relating to Eretz Yisrael and Making Aliyah with Rav Herschel Schachter and uh, Rav Willig. Okay. Rav Mordechai Willig. And uh, we're going to turn it over to Rav Johnny to, to uh, sort of summarize what he heard and uh, make some initial comments. Okay. Um, so to begin with, uh, I've, I, I'm not somebody with direct ties with Yeshiva University, although obviously uh, the Jewish world is very small, and I, I admire Torah scholars from all their different backgrounds. I listened to this recording with interest, uh, but there were certain moments where I got really quite uh, perplexed. Uh, the, the, there was a group of students who asked the Rosh Yeshiva uh, a number of questions about um, talking about Eretz Yisrael, uh, about moving to Eretz Yisrael, about necessarily the spiritual opportunities of those who reside there. And from there sprung a wide-ranging series of remarks from Rav Shechter and Rav Willig uh, and a conversation between them and the student body. Uh, and if you permit me, if I may, I just want to make a few general remarks from how I heard the conversation. I want to make a very clear disclaimer, though I've, I've met Rav Shechter on, on a couple of occasions. Uh, I haven't met Rav Willig, and, and therefore the, I, I can only judge their, their, their presentation based on what I've heard. Uh, point number one, and it actually relates to my Aliyah journey. I, live in, I lived in a community in London, which uh, has become more and more uh, religious, at least the, the religious have become a greater and greater percentage over the years. 
If I would have made Aliyah 15 years ago, my friends would have said, you know, good luck moving to Israel. When I made Aliyah just about seven years ago, many of my friends who came to wish us goodbye said, good luck when moving to Eretz Yisrael. And I thought, like one second, I'm moving to the modern state of Israel, obviously the Eretz Yisrael, which is a biblical f uh, label for the biblical land of Israel, which Midinat Yisrael holds a significant footprint on, aren't exactly the same. Uh, and I found it curious. Uh, why, why are we, or at least why do some people refrain from even invoking the term Midnight Israel? And why do I want to point this out? This is an event happening on Yom Ha'atzma'ut in Yeshiva University uh, in prep, in, as part of a wider celebration. And the term only used with reference to Israel was Eretz Israel. Now, obviously, as a religious Jew, Eretz Israel is centerpiece in my uh, mindset. It's central to my worship. It's, it's in a core feature of Tanakh. Nonetheless, Hey Iyar is only meaningful with reference to Midinat Israel, not necessarily to Eretz Israel, unless you see them as being one and the same thing. So I find it, find it, found it quite strange that only reference, deliberate reference was made to Eretz Israel in, in the entire ra uh, wide-ranging conversation. Uh, I don't know whether to read into it too much, but I thought I'd put that on the table. That's so interesting. I didn't even notice that. Oh, I, I totally did, and I think it's very significant, and I think it's part of why we, we had the reaction that we did listening, and also of Eric Kefet, who responded, had the reaction he had, because there was a dis there's kind of a disconnect between the way we view Yom Atzimot, Aliyah, living in Israel, we're coming from a place where we view part of what we're doing here as, as like a historical, theological... Wait, let, let's let Johnny continue. because Okay, but, most I, but, of I, but I think it's a very important this. point because if Johnny's on the ball and, and, and the, 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 the siach in that conversation was, I agree, narrowed somewhat, even though I want to be very careful. And again, I also want to say tremendous respect both for Rabbi Willig and for Rabbi Schechter and to make clear... I think that their approaches were overall something that I very much agree with and admire and appreciate. Um, and they both express tremendous love for Israel and the fact that they have children here. No, I think it's important to say. I think it's very important to say. Um, we might have places where, where we see things differently. And I think I think Rav Johnny is right to put his finger on this is a big reason why. Because we're viewing... To me, what that means is that... To me, what that means, I didn't notice it, but I think maybe what I did notice is that they've adopted... The Haredi yes, vernacular. Correct. That's really what no, that means. No, but it's not just the Haredi vernacular. It's a Haredi attitude. Haredi slash yeshivish perspective. It's not just okay. Language. Now, Rav John is going to tell us what they said. Exactly. Well, <laughs> let, well, let's take a second point. In fact, following on from what Mali said, uh, when Rav Willig was t talking about uh, a con consciousness of Eretz Yisrael and connection to Eretz Yisrael, he said uh, our connection to Eretz Yisrael is that we've all learnt there, meaning. The, at least for most, uh, for all the people sitting around at that chevr, uh, gathering, it was quite clear that learning is the bridge by which a person living in America, residing in YU, finds themselves comfortable in Eretz Yisrael. Now, of course, I believe strongly in Eretz Yisrael, um, and I believe that um, Torah flourishes with the Jewish people who live here. Nonetheless, uh, Israel has... Uh, many things, and Torah obviously should be its centerpiece. But to only pinpoint learning as the moment where one feels necessarily connected is itself, I think, telling. But I do want to add just a few, a few remarks. Uh, the, both of them talked about 
whether they would have made Aliyah or, or, or shouldn't have done. Reference was made to a captain, uh, you know, abandoning a ship. And, and reference was also made to Rav Soloveitchik and the kind of advice he gave to Rav Shechter. However, just two hours ago, I returned back from Give Up Washington, where I teach in Machon Mayan. And many, both of you probably know that there's a famous letter of a teacher of Miriam Shiloh who wrote to Rav Soloveitchik uh, from her classroom with her students in mm -hmm. Give Up Washington. And she basically challenged him, uh, why doesn't he move to Israel? This is not long after his wife had Same. passed away. But he was very clear in his response, which is, uh, and I'm going to quote, I have sinned and the prisoner's chain hangs from my neck. He then also talks about his, what he does in America, but there was a sudden acknowledgement. You're right. You're right, I should do, but I am who I am. I am where I am and, and, and my heart is bitten. I don't feel that uh, I'm in a place to, to make that transition. I'm not here to judge anybody, least of all, but what I didn't hear, neither from Rav Shechter nor Rav Willig, was that part of the response. Notwithstanding, of course, people having responsibilities and the challenge of Parnassah, a person who lives outside of Eretz Israel, who has opportunities, and both of them said they were given opportunities, I believe both, especially in the spirit of their teacher, should say, Chatati, perhaps not in, as, as a headline of their remarks, but that should be part and parcel of their response. The very fact that wasn't invoked, I think, is telling. But just a couple of other further things that they said, of which I do take issue, and as you said, Rav Kefet did respond in a fairly eloquent and, and poetic fashion. Uh, it, it, through their remarks, there are a number of implied criticisms of some aspects of, of living here. Uh, there was, for example, the implication that only in America can a person attend university and be a, be a Ben Torah, I think was uh, ridiculous. Uh, in fact, I would say only in Israel is there a beautiful relationship between academia and Torah. And elsewhere, we actually have this division between Torah and Mada. If you go to Barland University uh, and others as well, you see a beautiful fusing of academia and, and Torah study. Wait, I got to push back on that one. I go to Barland University. I study the Talmud department. And while there's a nice baby drash there, it pales in comparison to what goes on at YU. My no, but, John, but Johnny's making a larger point. Johnny is saying there is no there is no synergy of Torah and 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 Mada in Barilan. Barilan is Bar a very but but Johnny's point is that so so where is there where so is there a YU where where you can I, be a Ben Torah? Hey. Where Lisa, is there? Okay, but but I, firstly, I, you guys are I also talking at into cross Barilan purposes. Once in a while. Because again, Ruby, you're you're talking again, and I. Oh, by the way, I totally didn't agree with what Willie said. No, but, but I think, but, like, but that argument that you're just presenting is really, but we what we have here is a gap in kind of late stances of perspective where you're looking from. Every Willie and Shechter, it's true. We're looking from a more yeshivish slash Haredi perspective. Rav Johnny is looking from the larger Dati Lumi world perspective, and that's why you're having these cross. You're, you're seeing different things, right? They're looking. I don't. I don't understand what you're trying. I don't understand what, what you're trying is, to say. Meaning, Rabbi Willing and Rabbi Shechter are saying, "Where is YU? I don't see YU. Barilan is a pale comparison. Um, where are the right? I think one of them said. Where is there a place that a person wait, who wait, wait, wants wait, to learn to be a ben Torah? Wait, one second. Uh, one second. Then, then Rabbi Willing or, or I think it was Rabbi Shechter said, and you know, like in in Israel, you can't in America. You can find so many ben Torah who are doctors, and in Eretz Israel, you can't so much. Because, like, you have to choose either or. Why? Because he's looking at Ramat Beit Shemesh, right? And Johnny is like, what the heck is he talking about? Because the Seder, there isn't a specific university that unites Torah Umada, but Johnny's looking at 
all of the boys or the, and women, young women who are spending time at Midrashah and spending time at Ahaz Yeshiva and then getting their education and are fusing their lives, they, their lives are completely infused with a very holistic um, religious and um, or, or spiritual religious halachic, whatever you want to put there, perspective and a, a giving to the world perspective. Right, he's not just looking at Mafei Chemish, and he's not just. Well, first and foremost, they, they, they actually they they took a slight a slight to has the yeshivas basically okay. suggesting that that their learning isn't as high. And, and that's not because well, they no, I, right, that's another issue entirely. Well, I think we really feel like we're a little bit all over the place. I agree okay, that, that, that there was a swipe taken in yeshiva. I, I I'm gonna as I say I I visit Bailan quite often. I visit other universities as well. Uh, while I, I can't disagree with your particular experience, uh, you know the the quantity. Of publications which which look refract through an academic lens with profound Torah published here in Israel I mean dwarfs in like times ten thousands anything that comes out of America. It's like almost twins. embarrassing. Americans are like, looking for people the, the, to be scholarly the, and educated, and they can only that, find people who are in Israel. It's that, and, you know, there's, there's, that, there's that there's that famous uh, <laughs> movie with a bar scene. You know what? In pretty much everything I read from from America is pretty unoriginal, with a few exceptions. Almost everything I can buy in Tzomet Svegman Steimatsky, right, is profoundly refreshing and original, and is deep in Torah and and, and is is nuanced. Like I, I, with all due respect, I don't know what they're talking about, right? And 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 I I sit here, you know, Hezdi Yeshivas are pumping out thoughtful Talmidei uh, Chachamim, you know, whose whose ideas are being shared. All around the place, and and uh, it's a very myopic way of looking at the world to think that somehow the balance is so is so uh, achieved there in YU. And again, I'm not here to diminish YU. I'm not an I'm not somebody who's gone there. I'm not somebody who is in, in judgment. What I am saying is, uh, I I buy a heck of a lot of books. I speak to a whole load of people, and uh, what we have here is something to be uh, certainly appreciated. Uh, and and uh, remarked upon in ways which is is much much more than necessarily what I heard. I mean, there were further remarks that, about about the lack of choshavah rabbanim here in Eretz Yisrael. Like what? I mean, uh, I, I live in a place where a number of fine people where where, where Reuven lives in Yabinimin. Goodness grief, choshavah rabbanim, right? It, it, you, you're tripping over them. And when we say choshavah, we're talking about people who are scholarly on the highest level, Dayanim, Rabbonim, people who have made seismic changes in the Jewish world, uh, and to somehow dismiss them because they don't necessarily have such a well-known platform uh, really troubled me. There were further remarks about religious attrition amongst the religious Zionist community. Wait, wait, let's, let's, let, wait, let's unpack that before we get to religious attrition because it's a very interesting topic. So first of all, I want to comment and say, uh, I, not, notwithstanding... I love Barilan, but I don't think it's I don't think it their base base medrash is so strong. I don't think you know what I'm saying, but it's not why use base medrash. But if you wanted to, I I also agree with you that if they wanted to and they looked around, you have to go to Beit El or Haritzion or if you ever if you really want to why you if you if you know anything about Har Bracha, do you know how many like if you live in Har Bracha, it's understood that you're expected to learn a minimum of six hours on Shabbat as a Balabayit. Meaning, why? Because that's what Balamit says. You're a Balabite. You're expected to learn six hours on, on Shabbat. And all of his, the graduates of his yeshiva go university. All of them make a living. And all of them are tremendous B'nai Torah because that's the expectation of that community. I, I, to, I totally agree with you. I think it's a, the myopic view is in that there's a lack of understanding and experience 
Meaning, if the only thing you see is when you come to why come to come to Israel and give shiurim for the for the one, one year programs, you're going to miss quite a bit of what's going on here in this country. Right, you're I not, think you're that's, gonna, that's what you know it comes down to. I think they're not seeing the full picture. I, I don't blame them for it. I think it's uh, the nature. They would of, have no way of seeing. They it. are no right. Um, yeah, and but I, but I think that that's true. I think that their that their 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 that their vision is is sort of limited, and so therefore they miss uh, some very important things. Um, another, okay. I, one more point to this point, which yeah. is just very quickly, this is what Rebecca said, and I thought this was well, a very well taken point, which was, um, if if you're a doctor in New York, so you're doing good things for, for, you know, Jewish people and for the world. If you're a doctor in Eretz Israel, you are actually contributing to like this larger grand vision. It's like you're forwarding the geula on some level. And again, that's why I think Rav Johnny was right when in the beginning he said, like, this lack of, of relating to the, the grand project that's taking place in Eretz Israel, I think is why it jarred on us a little bit, right? Well, because I sometimes think about this, because I have family members who are doctors here and family members who are doctors there. So I have an uncle who's a doctor here. So it's like, when he, he create he was one of the creators of the webcam that you can swallow when it, like, takes pictures of your intestines. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. that's not just a great, you know, step forward for medicine. It's Latiferet Medinat Yisrael, right? And, like, for us who believe in the Zionist enterprise, and I don't just mean that in a, like, you know, kitschy way. I mean that in, like, a deeply spiritual and profound way. God has given us this, this like, we believe in the, we believe this is a chalta de geula. That's also part of it. We really believe that there's a, there's a new historical, like, um, opportunity to be part of something. It's not just like it's nice to learn here and you love Eretz Yisrael because it's really beautiful. We really believe that we're engaging in like an op- historic opportunity that has been denied to us since Chorban Bayit Sheni and that we're building something that has tremendous value. I think that that is what is, is, is the heart of what we felt was a little bit not so much related to in that conversation. Um. I would agree. I think that in the conversation, uh, I mean, it just it reflects it reflects a worldview of black and white, of looking through everything through the prism of of is it you know how does it fit into the worldview that I know, how does it fit into the expectations that I have, without trying to understand the, a broader context. I think that that's definitely true. I would say mostly. You know, first of all, I want to express that one of the things that was conveyed, I was very moved by both Rav, Rav Willig and especially Rav Schechter's just deep love for Eretz Yisrael. Yes, and you, I agree you, with you, that. you felt that. And also, I, I appreciated the fact that, like, their children basically ignored them and said, we're moving to Israel. And they were very, they're fine with that and happy with that. You know, so I find it sort of ironic that they're telling these students, well, you're the captain has to go down with the ship and uh, you have responsibilities here. Which uh, I think. Um, By the way, I don't I want to think, denigrate yeah. that. But I want to just make room for that as well, because there are people who really grapple with that question, and it is a real one. And it is a legitimate one. I've had a good conversations with people who have asked me what I've thought, and it's it's not like I've said to them definitely just come. But I always I always quote Rav Lichtenstein, who also quotes uh, going down with this captain thing, which is interesting because I didn't realize that it came from the Rav originally, um, and he said, "Fine, if you want to believe that you are like." a soldier, and you're being sent on a mission to a foreign country. And so then, Gesundheit, hey, you're, you have a mission in a foreign country. But don't forget that you're in a foreign country. Now, well, I would say, I, I think it's a little don't different. Forget I, would, I have to say it's a little differently. I really, my reaction was, was very different. That on the one hand, yes, you do great work. Okay, 
But but then both Rav Willig and Rav Shechter legitimately criticized things that they felt were missing in Eretz Yisrael. I think to my and I think one second let me finish. And I think to myself one second. Rav Aaron Lichtenstein came and made incredible changes in Israeli society about for things that he felt were missing in the land of Israel. So if you would take Rav Shechter and Rav Willig. Who would stand out here and would do great things? If they really felt that there needed to have been a YU, who's to say that they would not have been able to turn to that to, to make that change, to make that impact? I agree and, with you. you, know, but you know, also, and to let's say, be fair so to, to say, them as well. Because no, to, I'm sorry to say, well, wait, I wait, have wait. to do things here. I'm going I'm, I'm to The argument, let me finish my point. The argument of going down with the ship, obviously, or being the, the captain stays with the ship, you know, it, it's all fine and good, uh, except for the fact that. Who's to say that there isn't a bigger and more important ship that needs to be saved and needs to be built and needs to be constructed? So the idea that, well, no, you're American because I was born one place, that's where the, the, the destiny of the Jewish people, I, I don't so, find that argument so compelling listen, in any way, shape, or form. I agree with you. I just wouldn't say, I mean, I agree with you in terms of my choice, but I would say it's a little more complex than that because I, I actually once had a conversation with a very close relative about this because there was a time when I was like, he was like, what, what the heck is going on in people's minds when they stay in America? Like, so wait, 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 don't put words in my mouth. I didn't say that. Okay, that's what, what I was thinking. On. I was like, so like, <laughs> so the ship is going to sink anyway eventually. Like, it's a Chutzlar's ship. And like, you know, like, no, no, you know, diaspora in Chutzlar's ever lasts forever. So like, what are you trying to prop up that ship for? And what she said was, you know what? There's a value to having a diaspora. There's a, and again, I think it's important for, 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 now, for now people who live in Chutzlar's to, to define themselves no longer as in Gullis. That really annoys me. You're not in Gullis. Get on an LLL airplane and get off here, and you are no longer. You don't. You want to call it Geula? You want Geula? You want to call it Hey, Rashid Smichat Geula? I don't care. But you know what? This is not. You're in a new historical reality. You're no longer in Gullis. You don't have to wait for Mashiach. You don't have to wait for Eagles. It's all waiting for you right now. Be part of, uh, you know, Shivat Zion Hashlishit. But if you do, that even if we're in some level of an Etchalta de Geula. But even when there is a, a third Jewish commonwealth, we, I believe that there's value. I'm not saying this. One believes that there's value in a healthy diaspora, a gola, not a galut, a gola. I can, I can hear that conversation. We need a healthy, we, we, people, some people believe we need a healthy diaspora. We need, we need a strong Jewish community in America. Don't, don't write them off so, so cavalierly. They're important too. They're valuable too. There are a lot of Jews that aren't going to come, and no matter how much you think that they should, they, they, they are also need support. Maybe it's also good for the Jewish people that there's a healthy diaspora. There's a, there's a serious conversation you can have about the value of, a, of diaspora Jewry. Well, one second. I, and I think I, that that's I, also I, important, I, and, and it's, it should be respected, even if I personally made different No, choices. Molly, that's not one the argument. That's not the argument. It's not about the value of diaspora Jewry. The argument but, is but about it, the value, about a person's self-value and saying... I can't leave because if I leave, the no, ship's going to sink. But that, but the, you ha, the only way you can say that is if you have a belief that there's a value to diaspora Jewry and that, that you realize that there's a... Oh, but I, I, that wasn't my argument. I, let's, let's posit that. There's no, a value but, in okay, diaspora Okay, but Jewry. I'm saying they believe who's to say, they abandon who's, all those people. They don't, they think but, it's a real issue. One second. I'd, I'd like to interrupt and, and, clar- and distinguish between the two. I think it's perfectly fine, more than fine, admirable 
for a captain to say, and, and to use this metaphor, I, I don't want to abandon my ship. Nobody is criticizing leaders who give up their own dreams to look after their flock. And, and, and I think we both, we all agree that yes. these two people have profound love of Israel. However, I also think there's a few things we haven't mentioned. They, uh, Rav Willi quoted Rav Chaim Revolozin, who said America is going to be the last Golas. He wasn't simply saying, I, I live in Chutzah Aretz. He was basically implying that it's okay to wait it out here because from here we're going to get the last ship uh, straight to Eretz Yisrael. Moreover, a remark was made, a very direct remark, that it's safer to be an American Jew than to live in Eretz Yisrael. This yeah, is, that was this, truly this, troubling. That's, that's, that was that's truly, quote, truly Rav disturbing. And let's be perfectly clear. It, it's, uh, as Rav, uh, Rakefet said, it, it, I mean, let's not get into necessarily numbers, but the difference is the following. The Air Force here has my back. The Iron Dome has my back, Yeah. While I'm, I'm not disputing a week and a bit ago, I was also sleeping with my kids in Al-Mamad. The, the whole notion of the IDF is to protect the Jewish people and to stand up for the Jewish nation. And no matter whether you want to compare quantity of, of Jews killed by virtue of being Jews in America to Israel, which I think a very unsettling thing to do, don't tell me that somehow you are safer there than necessarily safer in a country whose very essence is there to protect its citizens. I think, I, would, that's yeah. a, I think it's a slight, a profound slight, not just a singularity of Eretz Yisrael to the language of Soloveitchik, but to the significant physical and spiritual contribution of Medina Yisrael. So I, even though the captain on the ship and the admiration I have for people for saying that, the, the type of remarks such as uh, invoking Rav Chaim Volozin as if to uh, legitimize not coming as a, as a significant legitimization or the notion of safety in front of students, you know, and, and on hey, ER, I'm thinking, what is going on there? So I would so say, let, I, I wanna, you want to say something, Molly, and then I'm going to. Yeah, I, very I'm quickly. Gonna, I, I would agree that I think that similarly, it's, it's, to me, it goes back to the thing I said initially is like, are you fundamentally like, do you have this like Zion, I'm going to use the word Zionist, even though, you know, it has Zionist perspective, or do you have your like what, what Johnny called in the beginning, the Eretz Israel perspective? Because for me, this like it's safer here, it's safer there, is fundamentally missing. Forget about, you know, I agree with you. A big piece of it is like, yeah, but here, like I'm standing on my own two feet. But it's more than that. It's if we're supposed to be risking our lives here. This is where Kaddish Baruch Hu wants us to be. And therefore, when, when, we, uh, when we engage in risky behaviors here, there's a theological, historical statement that we're making that you're simply not making in New York. There's something about standing, fighting for, um, you know, Medinat Yisrael, Am Yisrael, and Eretz Yisrael that is fundamentally different. Hiding in your mamad, first of all, I agree with you. There's there's the Jew, I thought about the Kishinev pogrom, where he talks about the, the how can this, the, 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 the descendants of the Maccabim are like shaking in their boots, hiding in the stables. And, and, and like the return of our glory that we're no longer doing that, which I think is a very big difference between, you know, d living and dying in Eretz Yisrael as opposed to any place in Kutzlarts. But beyond that, it's, it, I remember during the second Intifada when people were saying, oh, it's so dangerous here. And a friend of mine, a Tanakh scholar, you know, quoted me Yeshayahu, who was like, you know, said like, you know, don't leave Eretz Yisrael. You have this, you know, desire to run away. Don't run away. You don't, I don't care if it looks dangerous. This is where Kaddish Baruch wants you to be. And this is where, it's, where you're supposed to be. And this is where it's safe. And there's like a theological value to it beyond just this very kind of um, quantitative, 
you know, measuring of where life is safer. You're missing a whole undercurrent of, of theology, of spirituality, of, uh, of like, you know, like, like God's will. It's just kind of absent from the conversation. And that's, that's again, that goes back to what I think what is where the disconnect comes for when we hear it, why it doesn't, why it doesn't fit right. Just okay. Quick. I want to, I want to agree with what you said. I think, um, I think that, that, like you said, what, what was missing was, at least maybe they implied it, but what was missing was, first and foremost, a Jew belongs in Eretz, in, in Eretz Israel, Medina Israel, however you want to say it. And once you say that, once you say that, then we can discuss, we were born in New York. I, I, I don't, uh, you know, I, we, all of us struggled. Each of us made Aliyah at whatever point, in our, different points in our lives. And we all understand the struggle, and no, I'm, I don't think it's simple for anyone. But I, I think the conversation in the end left me feeling sad. Sad for a few reasons. First of all, sad because um, because the the conversation, like a person who, the people who listen to that recording in Israel, who are sitting in our seats, will have one reaction, and the people sitting in America listening to it have an entirely different reaction. They hear something entirely different, and it really highlighted the the growing gap between levels of awareness and levels of, 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 I would say, identity that are part and parcel of who we are becoming and how different uh, your environment and your, your, the atmosphere of Israel is from that of, of America or Galut in general. That's number one. And number two, I think what may be said is, like these are the, the first of all, we all, I remember we had the exact same uh, you know press conference asked the exact same questions and I was in YU <laughs> years ago and um, and uh, what may be said is the reality understanding that yes there are you know a certain number of young men who are grappling with this and they should grapple with it and it's wonderful but the vast majority of the American Jewish community doesn't even ask the question they're really not interested in this question at all about should I make Aliyah and what are the considerations. It's really not on the radar of most, of most of American Jewry. And that made me sad. And so I guess maybe we should be encouraged that YU is having a symposium. I was actually encouraged. I, I, I think that Rabbi Willig forgot to mention when they asked, how does the yeshiva express uh, its love of Israel? He forgot to mention that YU allows young men who are in Zemicha to spend an entire year in Israel for free learning in Israel as part of the Zemicha program. They have an Israel branch in Yerushalayim. I think that's a pretty strong expression of the love of Israel on the part of YU. I did it. It was pretty awesome. You know what I'm saying? And and I think that that they have a Yom Atzma'ud program. They were sitting there marking Yom Atzma'ud. So that's something that we should be encouraged by. But at the same time, just the whole, the, the tenor of the discussion and the fact, like our immediate reaction, all three of us, to this discussion, Rav Rakefet as well, is something that if you're listening to this in, 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 in not in Israel, I think you're going to have a hard time understanding what we're talking about. And that makes me sad. Yeah, and I also do think we have to appreciate both are really like Anna Bershefter. I think I think that that's important as well. We have to be able to see things from their perspective as well. Okay, I want to thank uh, our participants, Ali Brasky and uh, Rabbi Johnny Solomon. This is Arzu Weekly. My name is Yvonne Spolter. I want to thank my son, Badakis Spolter, for our music. Thanks, everybody. Bye now.